Hi there, I'm April Callis Birchmeyer, and this is the Ready, Set, Change podcast. I'm here today with Diane Bogino. Diane is amazing. She has over two decades of experience with, as a behavioral scientist, entrepreneur, human behavior analyst, and working with a variety of industries that afford her the perspective of building business solutions, business teams, and changing cultures. Diane also is the founder and president of Performance Strategies, and she's collaborated with people from a variety of fields, including medical, educational, executive, recruiting, banking, manufacturing, you name it, government, pest control. I don't think there's something that Diane has not worked in some area. And in a former life, she was an actor and model. She appeared in a movie and numerous commercials and did a national spot for Delta Airlines. And closest to my heart, she was a magician at one point in time. And as I may have revealed to you, uh, I was a magician's assistant for a brief period of my life. And so we had a lot in common there. So welcome, Diane, to the Ready, Set, Change podcast. Thank you, April. I'm so happy to be with you today. Diane, I'm so excited to talk with you simply because you fascinate me. All of your experience is so fantastic. Can you tell me what, it, what was your favorite, well, it's so hard to pick a favorite, one of your favorite uh, roles that you um, had in your career? Oh, wow. Uh, hands down, HR. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> but yeah, HR and the training, because teaching is, uh, is uh, dear to me. My, my daughter even said to me one time, Mother, you're just a natural born teacher. So that was a real compliment. So I enjoy giving people the aha moments and discovering their own awesomeness, so to speak. Oh, I love that. I love that. So I love HR as well. And the reason I love HR is because I love working with people and helping them solve problems. And I'm wondering, you know, what was it that really drew you besides the teaching part, but um, did you ever have like a, something that you ran into in HR where you really had to focus on kind of solving a problem or implementing an organizational change? Yeah, uh, we did some, I was in the hospitality industry for many years, so you can imagine uh, a lot of changes through technology, so implementing that in a hotel, and um, also we started a program where we brought interns over from Europe, because, you know, they have a different mindset about service than we do in America. It's more of a high-level mindset about serving others. And so we brought about, I think it was 12 people over from Europe to be interns. And some of those people are still here today. And I still interact with some of them, believe it or not. So that was a big change for the hotel, but it really brought our service level up. And it was an exciting and an adventuresome time because the cultures were so different. And back during those years, we're talking uh, late 80s, uh, you can imagine being in Atlanta, uh, the, the mix of the cultures was really exciting then. So that's fascinating to me in the sense that I think so many times we're talking about organizational culture and we're thinking about the organization and that workplace culture that we build. But when you bring someone over from a, an entirely different, you know, societal culture, um, how do you help them to adapt to that uh, both the culture of the U.S. and the new workplace culture? Right. That's a good question. And 
Of course, being in training, I put together some programs to help them with the culture. And I've even done that since I've left, you know, started my own business, working with internationals that come here. Uh, and they say they want to learn English, but actually they want to learn business culture and business etiquette and how to operate and function in this society. And I drew a lot from that time in the hotel industry, helping those people adjust. So a lot of classes. And of course, you know, April, as well as I do, there's always those one-on-one -on -one private conversations where people run into issues and problems and not understanding something, or there might be something said that they might've taken the wrong way or didn't quite understand. So there's always those coaching sessions in that regard. I, I know what you're talking about with those coaching sessions, but um, how can you can you help me understand, like when we're talking in those coaching sessions to help people um, sort of adapt a new way of doing something or to change their behavior in some way, um, what kind of barriers do you run up against? What, what types of resistance do you see to that? And how do you help people? Yeah, um, most of the time it's trying to help people get out of their own way. And I've done a lot of that myself. So <laughs> I'm really experienced in that. And of course, people will make excuses. And, and last night I was actually on a call with uh, Joyce Weiss, who we both know. And um, there was a gentleman put something in the chat about what do you, how do you help people who are always saying, you know, yes, but I can't do that. Yes, but I can't do that. Yes, but I can't do that. I call them on it and I say, stop playing the yes, but game. That's an excuse. So helping people recognize that they are making excuses. As you know, there are six stages of change and being aware that there needs to be a change is a big barrier to get over. Because if people don't even recognize that they need a change in behavior, that's going to be a problem. But once they recognize that, then you can begin that process of helping them make that change and get out of their own way to do it. Oh, man, I, I completely relate to that. And I think, you know, when I think about like organizational change, where we're helping an organization itself move from, from you know, the current state to the future state, I think about like the biggest piece I talk about is that relevant and relatable story of change where people understand why we're making this change. But I think you're so right. Like when we have individuals who don't even understand the, the why of making the change, you know, it's difficult to help them move from the current state to the future state. Have you ever had, um, have you ever, had an or maybe you you know have an example even of sometime when you help someone really to become aware of the need for change or to understand how that need for change really related to what they were doing it's difficult yeah it is difficult and, and a lot of the times um well let's start with organizations since you mentioned them that's the step they need to take in uh, disseminating the information about the why they need to make the change and be more transparent about that. They'll have a much easier job of making that change happen and be successful at it. The same goes for an individual when you're in a coaching session. And, uh, you know, I've had a CEO call me and say, you're either going to coach this guy or I'm going to fire him, you know? So here I am, you've got this guy 
Now I work with assessments. So that kind of gives me a leg up because they're inputting the information. So, you know, if they start arguing with it, I say, well, who put this information in here? <laughs> did somebody else fill this out for you? Well, no, I did it. Okay, so you didn't lie. We know this is the truth. And of course, if you get feedback from other people, I was in a session earlier this year where a woman said, yeah, people are always telling me this, but I just don't see it. And I'm going, okay, so people are telling you this, it's right here in this assessment, and you're still saying it's not true. <laughs> Think, hello. <laughs> so the assessments help people or help me as a coach help people understand themselves quicker and deeper. So it saves time and it saves the organization money. So it's right there in black and white. Mm. I like your focus on assessments, particularly because in, in our organizational change management world, you know, we, the very first step of the standard for change management is evaluate the change impact and organizational readiness. And so that's all of the pieces of the assessments where we do the change impact assessment, a stakeholder assessment and analysis. Um, we have so many different types of assessments, you know, learning needs assessment, communication assessment. And I think you're right. Those assessments really, um, they're relatively objective when they're performed. And I feel like they become subjective when they're discussed is what you're talking about. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Break through that. Yeah. And, and they have to be scientifically based. You have to really make sure it's a, it's a good, valid assessment. And also, the organization needs to really be clear about who stakeholders are. It isn't just their investors. It isn't just the board or the executives, but you've got your vendors, your customers, um, all the people that work for you, maybe even their families, because this, this change might be uprooting them to a new city or something, or it might be a change in hours or, or, or their duties or something like that. So there's a lot to consider, uh, and you're absolutely right about the stakeholders, and they, organizations really need to look at that as far out as they possibly can in inclusion. I agree with you. And, you know, sometimes just because I feel like, um, you know, sometimes what you described, you know, you, you've described it very well, but sometimes organizations don't see the stakeholders as their own internal people, their resources. And so when I talk with technology change, you know, with an organization, I talk about our stakeholders, which include our employees, but I also talk about our end users because that gets it in everyone's head that there is somebody on the front line actually touching the new system or implementing the new um, approach to, you know, whatever it is, customer service or, you know, uh, working in a new organizational structure, if you will, like if it's a restructuring or a merger acquisition of some type. So I think it, it's easy to forget what, you know, you just pointed out, which is that stakeholders are uh, people in the organization, as well as our external customers and vendors and government agencies and all sorts of uh, other folks impacted by that change. That's an excellent designation. That's absolutely right. And of course, government are the ones that causes the change sometimes so and and they give very little thought often to who that impacts um so 
and, and we're the ones that have to deal with it. But yes, when you make a change, who's going to implement this change? Who is the person, you know, at that end touching your customer who's going to carry through this change and how is that going to affect your customer and ultimately your bottom line? And does it make sense? I agree. Now I have to think many times I'm, I'm kind of going back to your uh, background as a magician, because I find that just so interesting. You know, so many times as a magician, what we're doing on stage, you know, I was a, a magician's assistant What the, the goal of the, the performance is to misdirect attention. But I find with, um, with organizational change management, sometimes there's organizations who think they can, you know, say, look over here, and then they'll change something almost <laughs> like a magician. They try to divert attention. But I find, I, I don't know, I think people need to be more focused on the change. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, how are they going to carry it through and implement it if, if they're not familiar with it and know the details of it and know what results it's going to be bring uh, to the customer? How can they sell this, for lack of a better word, to uh, their subordinates, to the customer, to the public, to their community that they might be in? Let's face it, some changes do affect the community. So uh, if they're going to build something in a community that might affect the community, either take away or add jobs or uh, technology, like you say, uh, who is going to be uh, able to implement that change by having the knowledge to use that technology? And if they don't, how are you going to get it to them? How are you going to get it to them? Yeah, that's the that's part of the the big mystery, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and it, it doesn't work by magic. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wish it did. Well, and I find, um, you know, no, coming from that sort of that background, I know that there's this, you know, magician code where secrets are not revealed, but I have seen online, there seems to be a new trend to reveal things. And I almost find that understanding how the, the illusion is done the understanding of the mechanics of it is almost more impressive to me than the illusion itself. Right. It's like it's like watching a, a movie with a complicated plot, right? Once you get to the end of it, you want to see it again, knowing what you know now, because it's much more interesting to you and you can enjoy it more. So, so you're right. Well, I think changes like that too, right? You want to get to the end so you can look back and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that it turned out like that. <laughs> but when you're in the middle of change, when you're in the midst of it, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel like it's so challenging, isn't it? To try to even have a sense of where you are, have a sense of um, perspective about it. Have you ever uh, worked through an individual change and, and had to kind of center yourself? How, how have you navigated that for yourself? Oh, never. <laughs> um, ab ab absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, uh, life is a series of changes and change can be unexpected. It can be traumatic. Um, I grew up as a foster welfare child. I was abused, sexually abused, beaten one time. And I never had um, anyone at, at my back uh, teaching me how to, um, you know, really have that 
the good good behavior or how I should act in society. Uh, I was taught I just needed to get married and have kids. Uh, so I, I thought I was too stupid to go to college. So I didn't go to college till I was in my 40s. And then, of course, uh, I ha went through a divorce and uh, life is just full of, of change. So that's one thing that we as, as humans need to know is that life is a series of changes. Now, sometimes life can throw a lot of changes at you at one time, like we've just recently experienced, and it seems like the whole world is, is going to blow up. But we have to stay centered and say, how is this affecting me? How can I get through this? What's my next step? And don't be afraid to ask for help. That was also something that was taught. Just do it yourself. Don't cry. Don't call on people. Don't bother people. And that's been a real detriment in life and business. So it's not a weakness to ask for help. It's a strength. I agree. It's a strength. You seem like you are so resilient. And what do you attribute that resilience to? I just think it's remarkable. Yeah, now that I've depressed your audience. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm optimistic. And you know that there have been studies shown that people who are optimistic really are more successful. And um, I've had a good sense of humor. And I've had the ability to be able to understand that there's some things I can't do anything about. Those things happen to me. I'm not those people. I would never be those people. And I've also been blessed with wanting to learn. So I read voraciously and I taught myself many, many things. Um, and of course, the, the um, self-confidence took a, a lot longer. And I, and I do that every single day. I'm, I'm a lot better, but it takes a long time to get rid of those voices in your head from the past. But um, you just have to keep working at it day by day, little by little. And I've, I've just read uh, James Clear's, in fact, I'm reading it again, uh, James Clear's book on atomic habits and little changes pile up and they make a big difference after a while. But it's those little steps that you think may not make a difference, but they really, really do. I agree. Those little almost micro habits, right? And, and I love that book as well. I'm happy that you mentioned that book because I, I really, I think I've read it twice. I think I'll keep reading it over the years because there are always, are always things I forget in that book. And, and I think your, your resilience and being tied to that kind of learning and understanding and then that recognition of the habits, I think is super important and very interesting to me because many times when people are going through changes, one of the challenges they have is that they don't feel resilient. And so, you know, I've been investigating, you know, how do you build up this resilience? You know, is it a muscle? Is it a habit? Is it, how, how do you stay so optimistic, Diane? <laughs> well, it is a, a constant um, daily routine that you have to do and you have to always have that faith in yourself and believe in yourself and keep that confidence going and it's not like you have to go out and get allocates all the time from people but it's like 
let's say you and I are going to give a, a speech, which we often do. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's do one together. Yes. We, um, we prepare for that. One of the biggest things to help people get over the fear of public speaking is being prepared. So once you dive into the knowledge of something, and as you know, teaching it or speaking about it forces you to get, gain that understanding and that depth of knowledge that you need to convey it to your audience. So if you keep doing that and understanding yourself, you know, taking those assessments, understanding yourself first is a place where you must always begin. That self-knowledge is crucial to anything that you want to do, whether you want to get promoted, whether you want to get a job, whether you want to start a business, give a speech. I don't really care what it is. You've got to have that foundation first. That is very important. I like that. And it makes me think, you know, I have my Ready, Set, Change framework for organizational change, but it makes me think as you're saying this, you know, the, the, the relevant and relatable story of change is almost should be for individuals, you know, the relevant relatable story of myself, like really understanding myself to build that resilience and then engaging with others once I have a true understanding of myself. And I, I like that approach. I like that, um, that recognition of the need for self-awareness because I do think it's an area where it's easy to be blind about your yourself and about how you operate in the world, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, self, uh, self-assessment is the foundation for uh, uh, strategic thinking, leadership, and EQ. So if I were going to go in and help an organization set up like a career path program, I would certainly start with some assessments so that these people understand themselves first, because how are they going to create a career path if they don't understand themselves and what they're naturally drawn to and what motivates them and what competencies they do have naturally. Plus, when an organization sets up a career path program, they have a better employee, they have a better culture, they have great succession plan in place, and they're more profitable. That's what all organizations are looking for, isn't it? You know, productivity, profitability, good workplace culture, everybody feeling that they can do whatever it is that they need to do. Tell me about a project that you're working on that's a change for you. I'm sure you have something going on because you always do. Well, yeah, I I just started a a new pod uh, or a new YouTube channel called Build a Better Career, and I put out tips every Friday on how to build a better career. It's uh, mostly for professionals and managers at the non-executive level. But I'm also uh, about to do a program with um, Lee, uh, Renee Lee Rosenberg on um, Freedom After 50 because of the ageism in this country. You know, in this country, we think when you get to be 40, your brains fall out and you start to drool and you can't do anything anymore. but nothing could be further from the truth. And I encourage organizations to look at older people because they are having such a difficult time right now getting good talent. And maybe, yes, we might be a little slower, but 
look, we have a vast level of knowledge. We might be a little slow in the technical, but you and I are, are I think, rare because we've kept up with it. But we, ha we have to. And um, we bring a lot to the table. So, you know, organizations have, I think, made a big mistake in looking over the older population and bringing in good talent to mix with the generations. Oh, that's an interesting uh, perspective. And I have to, to say that I do think there's something odd about the fact that you, you finally feel like you know everything and then it's like, oh no, here's someone who's 20 and they don't know anything, but <laughs> we like them because they have a long, long runway ahead of them. <laughs> I just love it when my son's impressed with my technology knowledge. <laughs> Yes. Right, there you go. Yes, it's, it's a win-win. So I'm I'm really focusing with our um with our groups right now on helping people prepare for certification for you know to to really kind of upgrade their career to really give them that that extra distinguishing factor that many don't have. When you have a certification of some sort, whether it's you know, uh, a graduate degree or uh, a project management professional certification. I know there's, uh, you know, SPHR for the SHRM mm -hmm. folks. I know we, we have a new one for change management, the certified change management professional. What do you, um, what do you recommend, Diane, for your career folks, for your career channel, which sounds really interesting to me. Do you recommend that you um, pick one or should you get like 20? I mean, what's, <laughs> what's your thought about that? Well, I'm going to give you an answer. One of my college professors gave me. It depends. That's <laughs> <laughs> a consulting answer. <laughs> um, you know, for myself, I got a, an undergrad in psychology. But when I got deeper into the work that I'm doing, the coaching especially, I decided I really needed uh, a more in-depth knowledge and, of course, change organizations. Um, or change in organizations, I decided I needed that OD and I decided to go back and get my master's in industrial organizational psychology. I figured if I could say it, I could pass it. <laughs> I'm also certified in all the assessments that I use and I have to get recertified every two years. So it's not an in inexpensive endeavor. Some professions, particularly medical, legal, require certain certifications. In the hospitality industry, there are certifications that are, might be more valued than a degree. So you have to really look at the uh, industry that you're in. You have to do what makes you feel comfortable about your level of knowledge because a good certification program, as we discussed, helps you go into that depth of knowledge and gain what you need to know to really be profi proficient at what you're going to be doing for your life's work. I think that's really interesting. And, and I think you're right. In many cases, a certification is almost more important than a degree. And there's many, um, I've noticed there are many certifications that don't require a degree. You know, you can substitute experience mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a four-year uh, degree or, or master's degree or something along those lines. Right, right. Well, Diane, I always ask, and I might actually know the answer right now, but I always like to ask at the, um, 
end of our, our time together, you know, how people can get a hold of you to find out more and to find your um, YouTube channel. And also, my second question is, do you have a book you would recommend people read? Uh, well, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, for sure. Yeah. And I'm also doing, what is it, the 12-week year? The 12-week year. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, um, getting, get, uh, learning a lot from that as well. Um, <clears throat> you can, pardon me. You get in touch with me uh, going to uh, www.performstrat.com or Diane at dianebogino.com. Uh, my phone number is 404-320-7834. And um, one of my channels is um, Business Notes, where I interview people like you. You can go see April's interview. She was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and then Build a Better Career is the other one for the career tips. Very nice. Very nice. Well, Diane, you've been through a lot of changes. You've shown amazing resilience. And I'm so thrilled that we had time to talk today because I think you have a lot to share and helping people to understand how to move through those changes, really focusing on that awareness, I think is uh, such, such helpful information for everybody. So thank you so much for spending time with me today on the Ready, Set, Change podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed it, April.